0: Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name. I promise you my wife is coming. She's not hiding from you all here. But um, the uh, adoptions hopefully will be finalized this year. Um, We have one adoption date for our oldest son. He's March 17. He'll be adopted. And then I'm not sure yet about the next one. She's coming along behind him. So Sooner or later, we'll have our family all in one piece, and then life will get back to normal, hopefully. <clears throat> Preachers are sometimes known as people who talk in other people's sleep. Um, this morning, I think there's more danger of me talking in my own sleep. I, <laughs> didn't, I never sleep very well when I have to wake up early. And Anyway, so why don't we begin with uh, prayer this morning. Dear Lord, thank you for this worship service. Thank you for saints here that we can worship with, for people who have been cleansed and saved by your grace. And we want you to feed us this morning. We know that you have bread for us, and I just pray that you would make the message clear and Relatable for each one of us so that we can be inspired and be closer to you again this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn to John chapter 15, please. Title this morning is A Child Not a Slave. A Child Not a Slave. and this may not be the best text to illustrate this but i think it'll become more clear john chapter 15 verse 15 it says henceforth i call you not servants for the servant knoweth not what his lord doeth but i have called you friends for all things that i have heard of my father i have made known unto you now servant here means simply slave the word is doulos in the Greek, just a slave. And so the question this morning that I want all of us to think about, is my relationship with God more like a slave or like a child, a son or a daughter? Do What's my mentality? Do I have a slave mentality or a child mentality? How do I know what kind of mentality I have? So I want to examine our thinking a little bit to find out. So if you're not a Christian this morning, you really can't this this message isn't really for you if you're not if you're not if you haven't given your heart to Jesus and are not necessarily trying to please Him, you can listen in. Um, but I hope there's uh, everyone here this morning is in that position. There was a song that was transformation transformational for my wife. Well, several years ago, we were going through kind of an intense time of. Counseling, and she was pretty involved, and it was, it, was, um, it was a lot of stress for all of us just, just working through issues. And, and the song, she was listening to a CD at home one day, and the song came through, and the, the, uh, the main phrase in the song was, I just want to please the Lord. And she realized that's really all I want to do. All through, all, in the middle of all this stress and everything that's going on in my life, I just, I just want to please the Lord. That's just what I want to do. And that's all really any one of us want. But I think we tend to get the wrong impression of our relationship to God sometimes and what God thinks of me or even if God thinks about me. You know, I did a little study one time, and I think a very conservative estimate would be that there's approximately 10 million Christians in the world. And so if I think about me with alongside 10 million Christians, you know, if I had 10 million brothers and sisters, I'd probably not get a whole lot of attention from my parents. And it's easy for me to start thinking in those kinds of terms and start thinking more slavishly than, than childishly. So first of all, the first half of the message, you want to look a little bit at the slave mentality, analyze that, and then the second half more what a, ch- a child mentality is. So a slave mentality is performance-based, that if I do the right stuff, I can please God. And I heard a preacher one time when I was young in Christian life. He was not a Mennonite preacher, but he was um, attempting to show our insufficiency and our weakness before God. He said, when you wake up in the morning, you shouldn't even make a move or roll over before you cry out to God for the grace and strength to, to do that every morning before you, before you move out of bed. So I, I tried to remember to do that. I felt it seemed like a spiritual thing to do, and I felt a little bit guilty if I would forget. Um, then I heard about a man named David Brainerd. He would sometimes pray outside all night long. He'd be outside praying. and he'd come in the morning, the dew was on his head and, and just sound like such a spiritual man. And, and I never prayed. All, I try, never tried that. That seemed a little extreme. But, um, but then another one saying that if you can't pray for an hour every day, then there's something wrong with your spiritual life. So I would try to do that, spend an hour praying and falling asleep and feeling guilty and praying. That was performance-based slave mentality. Another word we use is legalism, trying to live by the letter of what I think God wants me to do. And slaves always feel pushed to perform a little bit better. If I would pray a little bit longer, if I would pray better than, you know, than I do, and if I would get up earlier and read my Bible a little bit more, If I was more patient with my children, then maybe my prayer life would improve. And if I would fast more, maybe I could be more spiritual. And all that matters is how I'm doing, whether or not I'm obeying every law that I should and doing everything I possibly can. And I've watched, especially I think young people fall into this trap. I know when I was younger, and I still fall into this trap, but viewing God as master. And eventually, you get tired of that. It feels like the only option is to drop out or get used to a lifetime of this. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? Number two, slaves can never be assured of success. They just keep on slogging day after day, back out to the cotton fields. They'll never own the farm. I listened to a book recently called Working Our Way Home. It was about a black man from Louisiana. He was telling his experience as a sharecropper. This was after the slaves had been freed. And theoretically, all the slaves were free to go, and the plantation owners would tell their slaves, you're, you're free to go, but if you stay on here, I'll let you stay in your own house. You can live in your own house, I'll pay you a fair wage, you can buy all your supplies down the road at the store, and if you don't have enough money, just get it on credit. That's fine. And that seemed like a great a great way to do it. But somehow, every year the sharecroppers would come up short. Most of them couldn't read or figure, do math. And they could somehow never seem to pay off their bill at the store. They never had quite enough money, so they would just go on credit. And usually they would work all of this year to pay off last year's credit. And then meanwhile they're racking up more credit. And eventually, you know, the children come along and they need to work to help pay off the expenses. And and sometimes it was interesting, the plantation owner actually owned the store, so he knew how much to charge them, how much to pay them. So he would always keep those slaves indebted to him. And the, early, the only options for those slaves were to run away or just get used to it. This was their lot in life. They were surrounded by a white power structure that they couldn't break free from, even though on paper they were free. And the slave mentality just keeps hoping I make it to heaven, never actually sure that when I get to the judgment after I die if I will have succeeded or not, just hoping against hope that I made it in. Number three, slaves never feel the master's pleasure. So thinking again of those cotton fields in the south, there's no relationship between slave and master. No commendation for a job well done. Only punishment if the job is not good enough. And a whip for the slackers. Now God doesn't have a whip for his children. But we tend to whip ourselves sometimes, don't we? When we make a mistake or have fallen. And some... I guess some extreme religions beat themselves literally to keep their bodies under subjection, but I don't think any of us do that. But we do it mentally all the time. I can never be good enough. I I can't do this. I've been a Christian for 2 years, 10 years, 50 years, and I still have these thoughts. I must be a failure. I'm a horrible person. And a slave can't can't ever see his own growth or his victory. We only see our failures. And afraid to acknowledge growth, because that would be prideful. And the slave will never... Feel his master's pleasure. Number four, slaves are insecure about their standing with God. So if the if my performance is the only thing that binds me to God, and if my performance is usually lousy, then why would God want to keep me on the payroll? I could easily be replaced by someone who could do the job better. And God's got his big holy eraser, and as soon as I say a bad word or or give in to a temptation, out my name goes swiped from the book of life. And I'm dispensable because God has lots of other better workers. And it's just me. I remember feeling insecure when I was young. And here's a thought that I had this just funny now. But I wish I was ordained. Then I'd know for sure I was going to heaven. <laughs> and you can laugh all day about that one. Somebody told me I cut my chances in half. But anyway, um, it didn't take any struggles away. It just added a whole bunch more and didn't affect my standing with God one iota. But an insecure person says, Well, God has a lot more important people to worry about than, than just you know, little old Johnny. <clears throat> and number five, eventually a slave loses motivation. Why bother trying after a while? You really don't know if God's happy or not. And it's just a constant battle to outdo myself. and Maybe God's pleased, and maybe he isn't. And besides, the Bible even says all our all our works, our good works are as filthy rags. They can't ever please God. And, and that's how a slave thinks. Now, I hope there's no one here that can say all of those apply to me right now, but I'm sure we can probably all relate to at least some of those, those thought patterns. I know I can. But what if my children felt that way about me? Would I be satisfied with that kind of a relationship with me and my children? Do you think God is okay with that kind of a relationship with, with his children? Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the what? Anyone? sons of god <clears throat> now what did jesus say here in this verse that we looked at john fifteen, fifteen is the difference between a slave and a friend he says the servant or the slave knoweth not what his lord doeth the slave doesn't know what his master is up to he just focuses on his part of obedience and performance there's no relationship family ties or friendship but here he says i have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my father I have made known unto you so a friend or a son is invited into the counsels of God that's like walking into his office into his study you know, my children can walk in to my office anytime when I'm studying mostly because I don't have a door on it yet but I'm hoping to get one but they even after I have a door they will and that's and they can talk with their father about what's important to them but jesus says we are invited into the counsels of god there's nothing hid which shall not be revealed we don't understand everything about the counsels of god yet but we will fully understand yet someday now i like these chapters in john 15 especially beginning at verse or chapter 13 through 17 this is a conversation and a prayer that jesus had with his disciples just before he went to the cross there's no um you know arguing with the pharisees or or woeing on sins and things like that but this is jesus sitting down with his closest friends and talking heart to heart someone said it's the longest recorded goodbye in history um just a couple samples 14 verse 1 let not your heart be troubled ye believe in god believe also in me Um, 14 verse 18 i will not leave you comfortless i will come to you 14 verse 27 Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. These are heartwarming verses. 15 verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. And then you get into verse 15 that we read, Henceforth I call you not servants. Now, it's interesting, and I, I could be wrong on this, and I stand corrected, but nowhere after this does Jesus refer to his followers as servants or slaves. He had indirectly before this. He, would, he said one time, the servant is not greater than his Lord, referring to his disciples. But soon after this, after he rose from the dead in John 20, if you page a couple pages, 20 verse 17, he tells Mary... Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them. He didn't say, Go to my servants and tell them. He could have. It would seem like logical for us. But he said, Go to my brethren. And Jesus, that I could find, after he had made that pronouncement about not calling you servant, nor after that did he call his disciples servants. Now, it's fair enough that Paul and Peter and Jude, in their epistles, refer to themselves as servants, and even bond slaves of God. and Revelation, it talks about the servants of God. And I think it's good to think of ourselves as the servants of God, but that doesn't stop there. The way I like to think of it in Malachi, it says, God will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. So that's a good definition of our relationship, a son that serveth. And it's fine, again, to think of ourselves as servants, but think of it as a son or a daughter that serveth. You filled out the tax forms, I'm sure, that where you have to, um, or a reference or something, where you have to write out what is your relationship to this person. And you're going to write wife or son or whatever it is. But if God filled out that form about you, he would not put servant in that blank. This is my son, or this is my daughter. It's almost like God calls us in from out in the field. Pull up a chair to the table. Be one of the family. You know the old slaves; they used to pack their ham sandwich in a half a turnip or whatever they had, and eat out behind the shed while the white help would come inside and eat steaming mashed potatoes and fried chicken. Well, we're family; we can come right into the house and eat with the family. Verse sixteen, in John fifth, back in John chapter fifteen, says, "Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you." Does that warm your heart to think that God chose you? to be part of his family. Remember, a slave never feels his master's pleasure. But I feel Jesus' pleasure when I read this verse, I have chosen you. I feel his pleasure when I read in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. So you and I, as sons and daughters, can bask and revel in the pleasure of God. Now, it's interesting also that Jesus never calls us his sons. You ever think about that? He calls us brothers or he calls us friends. But nowhere does Jesus call us his sons. Now, why why is that? It's because he is also a son of God. He is the son of God. He is our oldest and first brother, the firstborn among many brethren, the Bible says. And if Jesus would call us sons, I'm not trying to be... Frivolous here, but just think through the logic. Then, God would we would have to call God our grandfather, wouldn't we? Because then, if Jesus was our father, God the Father is not our grandfather, He is our oldest brother's father, He is our father. Now, what about you might be thinking about a verse in Hebrews 2 where it says, He brought many sons into glory. And if you look at that, that's actually talking about God the Father bringing many sons into glory by making the captain of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. And that's an astounding status for us, to be the spiritual brother or sister of God the Son. So you might not have family in heaven, but you have an older brother in heaven. Now, let's confirm this with a quick Bible tour. I don't know if you remember, if you can think back far enough to remember yellow pages, but remember the walking fingers? Let's have our fingers do some walking here quickly. John chapter 1 we'll look at four or five passages, and then we'll come back to the book of Romans. But John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 2 Corinthians 6. I forgot I was going to have you whenever I get to the word sons or daughters. I want you to say that. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 18. 2 Corinthians six eighteen, And will be a father unto you. Let me back up here, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons. And saith the Lord Almighty. Galatians 4. Let's read the first nine verses. Galatians 4. If you see child, go ahead and say that as well. Galatians 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a... Differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Now let me stop and explain. This is talking to the Jews before Christ, so those first verses might look a little confusing. Verse 3. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that ye might receive the adoption of... And because ye are, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a, and if a, then an heir of God through Christ. How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? So said, why are you going back into slave thinking? Your sons. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, 1 John 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the... Of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons, oops, go ahead. Now are we the of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that he sent his Son to die on the cross. Is that what it says? That would be a point of wonder enough but what he's wondering at here is the fact that we are called as as fallen humans less than worms beside God the rebellious creation are called the sons of God what manner of love that we get that title we get to be adopted that's an audacious title the children of God i wouldn't dare to title myself that unless god had first now let's go back to romans 8 and we'll just stay here in the rest of the message Romans eight verse fourteen <clears throat> read fourteen through nineteen for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the of God, for ye have not yet for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father' The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the, of God, and if, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the, of God. Now, let's just analyze some of these verses here. In verse 14, this is the test, whether or not you're listening in this morning or whether you're claiming this for yourself. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. It's really a pretty simple test. What's leading you? Your flesh, your body, what you want to do, or the Spirit of God? That's the test, whether or not it says here, whether or not you're a son or a daughter. So, as I look over my life, do I see a bigger hunger for the fun stuff or the spiritual stuff? And if I have the two options, which do I normally choose? What's leading me? What do I get more enjoyment from? Verse 15, ye have not received the spirit of bondage. That bondage is the same word, dulia, slavery. You have not received it. If you have it, God didn't give it to you. That's pretty straight talking here. We naturally. Gravitate toward bondage we're like flies attracted to spider webs we tie ourselves up with obligations that are sometimes perceived and sometimes they're real or we get ourselves into debt and make promises and payments that we can't keep and get into addictions sometimes and the spirit of bondage, we could say man is born to bondage as the sparks fly upward, at least I see that in my own life just heading that direction And even after we're Christians, we gravitate back toward bondage, just like the Jews that were tempted with ceremonialism and legalism and all of that. We tend to focus on our performance. But that's not from God. Let's just settle it. If you have that spirit, if I have that, I didn't get that from God. It came from someplace else. But you have received, verse 15, the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, I can adopt children, but I can't... Adopt the way God can I'm fascinated by seeing The, the biological parents come through in my children in their different talents And their facial expressions And their sense of humor And, and, and when, I, when we adopt children They don't become new people they, they, um, Their DNA stays the same They're not like me or Patrona They even act sometimes like their biological parents But when God adopts us We immediately start to look like him that's amazing, we start acting like him, we start reminding people of him, and we actually become one with him. Our DNA changes to match God's DNA, if you think of it that way, because the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of adoption, and one of his functions, one of the spirit's functions is to make us one with the one with the Father. It's like he's there to finalize the adoption, and that's the supreme union later in first Corinthians six he says his spirit is He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit, a complete and full union. His love is shed abroad in my heart. When I adopt my children, nothing really is going to change about them. Um, My love will not be shed abroad in their hearts, and I can't place my spirit into them as much as I wish I could to make them more one with me. But God does that. It's a fuller union than we even share with our, our biological children. And through that spirit, in verse 15, we cry, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And I was fascinated to look at that phrase. Abba is a Chaldean word for father. And that's a phrase that the, the Jews had incorporated into their language was Abba for, for the term father. It comes from, I'm sorry, then, the, then Abba, Father. The father there is the Greek word for, the Greek word is pater, from which we get you know paternal and patrimony and those type of word. We use the same root. So it's it's interesting to see the blending of Jews and Greek in this phrase, Abba, Father. And we only have record of one person approaching God with these words. Does anybody know who that was in the Bible? Christ. Right, it was Jesus Christ in the garden. And that to me again, that that's our brother. He was the only other one that ever ever said that. And he was in the garden of Gethsemane saying Dad, I'm dreading this. Could we do this some other way? And we can use the same language as our big brother did, boldly, as part of the family. Slaves aren't allowed to talk like that. Who do you think you are calling me, your master, something like daddy or dad? But family can. Verse 16, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I said a slave is insecure. A lack of performance can, can wipe you off the roster. But here is security. So the Holy Spirit finalizes the adoption, but he's also the agent that kind of stays with you for the rest of your life, assuring you that you are this child of God, to make sure that you know that you're secure. It was really just a favor that God did for us, that you're a child of the king now. It's called assurance, a peace. peace When things are right between me and God, And we sing the song, He whispers sweet peace, To me, Adam Clark said, This is not a momentary influx. If we take care to walk with God and not grieve the Holy Spirit, we shall have an abiding testimony. So the Holy Spirit can't whisper those words to me when I'm on YouTube watching things that God absolutely hates. I won't hear that voice of the Spirit when he's cowering to the background, disappointed, grieved about what I'm watching, or when I'm yielding to temptation or thinking unholy things thoughts there's no message of assurance in that life but as i walk with him he bears witness with our spirit wasn't that nice of god to do that for us i think it was he wouldn't have had to to send uh, the spirit with us just to make sure that we always know and this is why it's so incredibly important for us nelson you mentioned this morning about meditation in devotions quiet times when the spirit can speak to me maybe show me something that's grieving him about the way i'm living or you know sometimes in the busyness we just lose touch with that assurance and i've found that in my in my life whenever i start doubting my salvation i'm starting to have issues of wondering and, and confusion i can usually go back to something as simple as my personal bible reading and meditation that has gotten neglected and often when i get that straight my assurance gets itself figured out as well You know, I I know someone pretty well that talks so quietly that I pretty much have to shut out all the noise in order to hear him. I turn everything off, and then we can have a decent conversation. Or even in a vehicle, it's almost too loud. But it's a little bit the way the Spirit is. He whispers. And if I don't have those still moments, all my activity will drown out the whispers. Now, going back to to a, a question I raised earlier, that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. I want to say that God is pleased with the good works of his children. Of course there's filthy rags outside of God and our own righteousness. But after we're adopted, God gives us his righteousness, his spirit, and that spirit bears fruit. So let's not call this fruit of the spirit filthy rags. God is pleased and delighted with your and my good works. So whatever sphere, sphere of God... Excuse me. Whatever sphere you're working for God in, whether it's evangelizing to your children or to the lost, or just encouraging the faithful or going to work every day. Colossians says employees are serving the Lord Christ. God smiles on you for that. That's my son. That's my daughter. Did you see what they just did? I mean, look at him. He goes out to work every day. He's not embarrassed to talk about me. That's my son. Look at that girl. She's raising a batch. Of children to love me. And she's serious about raising her children, right? And it's good to bask in the pleasure of our Father. You ever praise your son or daughter and just watch them just soak it up because they just feel so good and so loved? Maybe they don't hear it enough. <clears throat> God wants us to feel that way. He wants me to feel loved and secure. I mean, what kind of a father would he be if he didn't? He'd be just a master. But somehow, I don't know why, and maybe it's just a battle against pride, but we don't like to feel that way. We don't like to think about I'm basking in the pleasure of that God is happy with me. Maybe it's just we don't want to be thinking too highly of ourselves or something, but we don't like to, to bask in that. And I think God wants us to we want to feel and we should. there's a balance of a feeling unworthy and undeserving of his pleasure, but he also wants us to realize that we can revel in his commendation and in his love. <clears throat> Verse 17, "And if children, then heirs." You know a slave, I said, has no illusions of success or of owning the farm someday. He will just be on this farm till he dies. Not so, God's children. We get the same inheritance as the firstborn. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, <clears throat> and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. All things. So what does that mean? Well, Jesus said in one place, the meek shall inherit the earth. Another time he said, one day I'll say, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. All things. If, and here it comes, could I trouble someone for a glass of water? Thanks. Verse 17, If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And there's an if. If so be that we suffer. There's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. So if I want to share the inheritance with the older brother, then I need to live like the older brother. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If we suffer we shall also reign with him. I think we'll feel incredibly unworthy when we get to heaven and the lamb that was slain, the creator and judge of all the earth, the son in the bosom of the father says, come, brothers and sisters, inherit the kingdom. It almost doesn't feel right to say that, that God would say that about me. But it was prepared for you, inherit this with me, inherit all things. You are my brothers and sisters. And God the Father says, Come, sons and daughters, come share in the glory of your elder brother. Thanks a lot. And I don't think <clears throat> we'll ever through all eternity grasp excuse me, the warmth and the fullness of having been adopted into God's family. So this morning, let's revel in the tremendous privilege we have in Christ, simply by placing our trust in him and following him. You know, I have a son who follows me. He's not formally adopted yet, but I adopted him the day he arrived. And when he gets to an uncertain place like stairs or a dog that can look him in the eye. He sticks his hand up and says, Hand, hand. And that's how I want to go through life. At the beginning of every day, up goes the hand. Hand, Daddy, hold it, please. And as I get a firm grip on daddy's hand, he is able to keep me from falling and to present me faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He doesn't want me to fall down the stairs or get knocked over by a dog any worse than I want my son to fall down the stairs. And when the going gets too rough, he picks us up and carries us. Sometimes our children, in an effort to be you know, mommy's or daddy's big helper pick up a a bigger burden than they can handle. <clears throat> Last summer, I was we were stacking firewood, and my little boy would grab a big piece that was too too heavy for him, and try to carry it, and he'd stumble and fall down, and the piece would fall down, and and so I would pick up the boy and dust him off and pick up his firewood and help him finish and then say, good job, you know, as if he had done it all by himself. Not because I'm such a good dad, I'm not, but because it's what any common sense caring father would do. And God wants me to succeed with the burdens that he gives me sometimes that they feel like they're too heavy for me. And, in a, and I stumble, and I have issues, and I drop my load, and I fumble. And it's all just laying in pieces at my feet. He picks up the boy, and he picks up the burden, and helps me finish. And then he says, well done, good and faithful servant, as if I did it all myself. So if one of my children acted the way I do sometimes toward my heavenly father, I would be offended if they did that to me. Are you Johnny's child? Well, I hope so. I hope he never leaves me. That's an insult to my parenting. How often do I treat God that way? When he wants to say, listen, you're my Child, I won't kick you out at the first mistake. You're loved and accepted. Lift up your head and straighten your shoulders. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I don't know if we have we have a little bit of time here. Turn turn to Luke chapter one. I just want to look at one verse. <clears throat> Stood out to me yesterday morning. It wasn't really in conjunction with this message, but it fits so well. Luke chapter one, verse seventy-four. This is Zacharias speaking, the father of John the Baptist, and he was filled with the Holy Ghost and he prophesied. But um, Luke 1, 74, breaking into his prophecy, he says that he would grant unto us, or that God would grant unto us, that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Can you say that? You're serving God without fear. We're not slaves. We're not a tag-along at the back of the pack of a big family. We are sons and daughters of, chosen, loved, accepted by the heavenly Father who wants nothing more than my success. And let's not forget it. Let's kneel for prayer.